namo tassa bhavatu arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhavatu arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhavatu arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sanghang Last Sunday we were considering together a Dhamma part of verse 173 where it talks about the process of transforming our unskillful ways into that which is wholesome and beneficial. And we're talking the theme was bringing light into the world and, and yet, of course, as inspiring as the teachings that the Buddha gave uh, may well be and uplifting and encouraging, uh, presenting us with images of the moon freed from the clouds and the reality is that it's really difficult. And this amazing opportunity we have to live here in this wonderful country and all the good fortune and yet it's very easy to uh, create problems out of things. And, and where do the problems come from? Uh, well, to a large extent, the problems come from how we approach life. It's often not life itself, but the heedlessness with which we approach life. Uh, old habits and old grudges and mm, misperceptions, misunderstandings and So yes, the Buddha said that we can exercise uh, spiritual disciplines and and grow an awareness of how we create problems. However, we're still left with the fact that it's very hard work and and we may well want to do it, but it still remains really challenging. So what can we do about it? what other encouragements that the Buddha and, and our teachers have offered us so that we are successful and, and we don't just keep repeating the same misperceptions over and over again. Well, one of the things we can do is what the community here, just the last week we've been on retreat, closed down a lot of the activities, stopped the work projects, minimal if... if any talking at all, and in so doing, uh, increasing intensity. And I think this is, uh, it's a helpful topic for contemplation, intensity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We may have inspiring images of the possibility of the, the spiritual journey and we may have very wholesome aspirations However, if we operate at a very mediocre level of energy, then the transformation is not going to take place. Like the image I've often given, which uh, I first heard from the Vinwal Miyokyoni, who was a, a great Zen nun teacher in this country uh, some years ago. And before she went off to Japan and trained in Rinzai Zen, she was a, a geologist. And so 
she knew a thing or two about transforming the elements and gave this example of how you transform carbon dust into diamonds. And diamonds, you know, powerful, useful, valuable um, materials. Carbon dust down there is just not, not very expensive, not very valuable, and you can easily make a big mess out of carbon dust. And, and the process of transforming carbon dust calls for a very precise application of pressure and heat and containment and as a metaphor for the spiritual journey it works quite well and we do need to find ways of accessing intensity and before the old heedless habits come into perspective and we can really see them for what they are this is me creating a problem here I thought it was something wrong with the world I thought it was something wrong with my parents I thought it was something wrong with the politicians but actually no this is me creating a problem here often it takes intensity a build up of energy before we get to see that so that's what we've been doing for the last week that's one of the things we've been doing for the last week uh, accessing intensity and just not talking, for instance, is a very useful way of building up intensity. And so, if you haven't tried it, it's a very useful thing to do. You stop talking, and you know, you realize how much energy we uh, expend on chatting and promoting our personality and, and gossiping and, and talking about things that are not particularly productive. And when we close the door on that, then there can be a build-up of energy and, and that can be very useful if we're interested in coming to see these patterns of old heedlessness that the Buddha was talking about so that bring them up into awareness and then receive them with interest and study the way we relate to them like you know, the heedless desires we have around you know, food or you know, seeking praise or avoiding criticism, all these heedless habits that we have, how do we change them? Well, first we need to see them. And that takes a certain sort of training. There's an incident from the life of the Buddha recorded in the scriptures, which many of you are probably aware of, whereby not long before the Buddha's awakening, he was taking his meal, but beside the Naranjana River and at the end of the meal he, he floated the bowl he'd been eating out of into the river and he made this determination uh, saying that if this bowl floats upstream then that means that I'm going to awaken and be freed from the suffering of ignorance and conceit and, and realise liberation and Ajahn Chah, quoting this story and interpreting it, pointed out that the point of this image is that we appreciate the Buddha's consciousness had been trained so that it was no longer going with the current of the world. The world is following our liking and disliking. That's the world. Following our preferences. 
seeking praise and fearing blame, seeking success and avoiding failure. That's the world. But then going against the world is a specific sort of training. And so what Ajahn Chah was pointing out was the Buddha had trained his consciousness, trained his heart, trained his awareness, so that it was running counter to the world. And this is necessary mm. from the perspective of the Buddha's teachings to train our hearts and minds to be able to, to be willing to, to be capable of going against the current of the world. Always following our likings and dislikings, which we're all familiar with, agreeable sights, sounds, smells, tastes, touches and mental impressions and we want as much of those as we can get. But we realise, hopefully by now, how many agreeable experiences we might have. Disagreeable experiences are always going to come along and how are we going to handle them? So setting up one against the other is setting ourselves up for suffering, setting ourselves up for disappointment. And from the Buddhist perspective, there's no end to that. Setting like up against dislike, it's a, it's a dead end. So, so training our hearts and minds so as to not be defined by our preferences. Of course, we all have preferences. We all love the sunny, warm weather, and we love agreeable company, and, and we love nice, comfortable bed to sleep, and we all uh, appreciate these things. But what happens when we don't have them? Do we get pulled into despair when somebody humiliates us or treats us with disrespect? Mm. Do we feel offended to the point where we become enraged or maybe we internalise that aggression and just get depressed? Mm. Well, if that's the case, then that's being defined by the world. And so the Buddha wanted us and the great teachers wanted us to train our faculties so as to be able to rise above the world, go against the world. Mm. And that's partly what we were doing, this retreat of accessing intensity. Can we meet ourselves when we see our limitations more vividly? When we see the, the lack of ability that we have can we meet ourselves there without judgment without condemnation and learn how to let go so this perspective on the spiritual practice is at the very core of the Buddha's teachings we all know the four noble truths the Buddha taught about the first noble truth is there is this experience of frustration, disappointment, suffering. There is a cause for it. There is freedom from it. There is a path to the freedom of it, or the path which is also the expression of the realisation of the freedom from it. These four noble truths. But the Buddha wasn't holding up images of everlasting pleasure. What he was holding up was there's a path there's a perspective which is worth cultivating whereby you can meet life as it's approaching you and learn from it. But, once again, it does take a training. We don't have to keep running away from 
from life just because it disagrees with our preferences. Some of you might have read where Ajahn Chah characterized his teaching style as um, where he was somebody had asked him, Do you teach Anapanasati? Do you teach Samadhi? Do you teach Vipassana? What is your teaching technique? And Ajahn Chah said, My teaching technique is frustration. And actually the Thai word that he used is Toraman, which literally means torture, but obviously he wasn't literally meaning torture. Frustrating our conditioned preferences so as we learn how to not be defined by them. Learn how to handle intensity when we feel like I can't stand it anymore. Maybe it's a social situation where there's just somebody is arguing or insulting or being difficult and, and just day after day after day and they have this experience of, I can't handle this anymore I can't stand this anymore what are we going to do at that point are we going to lash out and be offensive and be hurtful to them are we going to just deny it and pretend it's not happening or can we meet it and learn how, where and when are we imposing limitations on our heart of awareness so as we can't accommodate reality? This is just reality. I mean, the Buddha had to put up with all sorts of abuse, all sorts of insults, all sorts of unpleasant circumstances. But for the Buddha, there was no suffering. And what's the difference between the Buddha and us? The Buddha had no limitations on his awareness, no obstructions in his heart. We have limitations on awareness and obstructions. We keep imposing those limitations on awareness. And so the moment that we're suffering, say, I can't stand it anymore, that is the very place that we are imposing limitations on awareness. That is where there's a chance we might be able to see where, when and how we are actively imposing limitations on awareness and creating suffering in that moment. So once again, intentionally putting ourselves under pressure, like not talking and taking away some of the convenient distractions of life and accessing intensity consciously. And once we have a handle on this, once we can come to appreciate that intensity is just that's just energy, that's all. Intensity is just how we handle energy. Very own Pali. You know, one of the seven factors of enlightenment, virya, and the five spiritual faculties, virya, energy. And for all of us, at different stages of life, we're obliged to meet it, whether it's, whether it's in joy or whether it's in sorrow. Do we get lost? Do we get lost in agreeable situations? Do we get lost in disagreeable circumstances? So appreciating that when intensity comes to us, maybe it's through sickness, maybe it's through disappointment, maybe it's through frustration, can we turn that around? Can we meet it? Can we greet it? Can we put our hands together in Anjali and say, this I can learn from? Or do we turn away from it and distract ourselves? Life is difficult and the skill is how to meet it in all its manifestations, so we can learn from everything. Now, 
also talking about intensity it's useful to bring in there a contemplation of agility because you can get so focused on intensity and that you can hurt yourself and there's a there's a story in the scriptures of this monk who was so focused on accessing intensity during walking meditation that his walking meditation track was covered in blood and that's going a bit too far was going a lot too far actually too much walking meditation didn't have the agility to realize how actually the Buddha taught uh, four modes of meditation walking meditation yes sitting meditation yes standing meditation yes lying down meditation yes so agility learning how to adjust according to what's going on sitting, standing, walking, lying down or the fifth mode of practice if you like the Venerable Ananda who his awakening took place when he was partway between sitting and lying down and just after all this hard practice and sitting meditation he realised he wasn't getting where he wanted to go and so he gave up but before his head hit the pillow letting go happened and the transformation happened so he could say that there's five modes of practice but for most of us there's, there's going to be four and having the agility to see what is called for what is called for here or the agility of the, the four right efforts and again many of you will be familiar with the, the effort to protect the already arisen wholesome states of mind and the effort to give rise to the as yet unarisen wholesome states of mind the effort to remove already arisen unwholesome states of mind and the effort to avoid the arising of as yet unarisen unwholesome states of mind that takes agility now we're always just hammering away at the same style of practice the same kind of effort Uh, it's not going to work Mm, you may have great aspiration a great deal of enthusiasm we may appreciate the function of intensity but if it's not agility we can hurt ourselves so agility is a theme that's worth contemplating, particularly when we're doing formal practice or particularly when we're on retreat, we've got lots of time to uh, contemplate these matters and, and if we find ourselves not sure how to adjust our practice, well then you just drop that word in, agility flexibility mm. go into a session of qigong or tai chi if you've trained in that that's, that's great for bringing agility into the body Agility is not, we're not just talking about mental agility, being able to move from one of the four foundations of mindfulness to another. The Buddha didn't teach just one foundation of mindfulness, he taught four foundations of mindfulness. The body, feeling, the heart itself, awareness itself, and, and the support of dhammas, having the agility to adjust from one to the other. But also, that needs to be embodied the whole body-mind trained with agility. And this is, it's of course, something that we may have already, or we, we looked, we could notice in our everyday life how if we don't have agility, just like a one-track approach to everything, it 
makes life very difficult. You know, like, like a parent bringing up several children. Children are all different. They're all got different characters and kind, caring, alert parents will notice, oh, this one needs to be treated like that. That one needs to be treated like this. And they're all different and so it takes an agility of attention or certainly living in community life, you know, monastic community, different nationalities. You know, all right, Serbian people, they, when they say that, they mean that. Or, or Romanian people, that's interesting. They, they have that perspective on things. And, and then Spanish people, all right, they're interesting. Very, very different from the Swedish people. And it took me a very long time to, to recognize that just because people speak English doesn't mean to say they all mean the same thing. The Americans have got a very interesting way of speaking English. And even the English people, they don't speak English like the New Zealanders. <laughs> it takes an agility of attention to be functional. So it's obvious in, in daily life, if we stop and look, it's obvious that you know, agility is really important. As you get old physically, uh, you know the encouragement to keep moving because you lose your physical agility then sickness starts to take over and so we can bring this into our spiritual practice seven factors of enlightenment some people think that mindfulness is all there is to the path of the Buddha taught mindfulness that's just the first of the seven then there's Dhammawicha or investigation into reality and then there's Virya, energy, and then there's pity, and bliss or delight, and then there's tranquility, and then there's samadhi, collectedness, and then equanimity. The last of the seven factors of enlightenment, equanimity is profoundly important spiritual quality. If we have an appreciation for agility and we read these teachings by the Buddha, we say, all right, this is with agility. Agility enables us to cultivate practice so as to approach balance, to approach a beneficial perspective. So, considering intensity, how it can function, how we can access it, considering agility, also considering kindness particularly, well, it's important in all areas of life, but in formal meditation and particularly on retreat, tremendously important to remember the place of kindness. seems to me that when you look around, it's like basically everybody is just trying to get by. Everybody's got stuff to deal with. Everybody's got difficulty. Or as, as the Buddha pointed out, all beings are afraid of death. All beings are wish to be free from suffering not just human beings but all beings wish to be free from suffering so the last thing they need is unkindness all beings benefit from kindness and and it's a wonderful discovery to realise that yes it's possible for us to benefit from receiving the kindness of others and to generate kindness towards others but also we can generate kindness towards ourselves or another way of thinking about kindness, I like to think of gentleness. 
gentleness. Being gentle, sometimes you can get enthusiastic about intensity and revving up energy and feel like we're making progress in practice and have a reasonable handle on agility. But if we don't have kindness, we need to be very, very careful. Quoting from the scriptures again, there's that interesting incident where the Buddha's attendant who obviously thought he had a few things sorted out and told the Buddha that he wanted to go off and practice in the forest on his own. He wanted to go and do solitary practice. And so the Buddha said, "Uh, I don't think you're ready for that yet. And this uh, probably, I don't know how old he was or who he was, but probably a little bit too enthusiastic, (laughs) told the Buddha, well, no, I think I am ready, which is a pretty cheeky thing to do. And even went as far as asking him a third time. And so... The Buddha said, okay, you think you're ready, off you go. So this fellow went off to the forest to do solitary practice and access some more intensity, and, and it wasn't long before he came back in a complete mess, assailed by all sorts of fear and anxiety and, and difficulty. He wasn't ready. And what did the Buddha teach? This is the occasion when the Buddha gave the discourse on loving kindness, the, the Karani Metta Sutta. Kindness is gentleness are like kindness and gentleness are like nutriment for the heart. Nutriment without which we leave ourselves vulnerable. We've already got enough suffering, all of us have already got enough difficulties. And so as a nutriment it's also kindness is also a protection. And it's not necessarily difficult to figure out what the Buddha is talking to the Buddha gives this image of a mother with her only child and so if you want to know the kind of gentleness or selflessness or kindness that the Buddha was encouraging us to cultivate so as to generate benefit for ourselves and for others then watch a mother with her only child or hold a child yourself you're holding a child how do you hold a child how do you hold a child with gentleness sometimes talking about kindness it can sound like a concept or an idea or a philosophical perspective so that's why I rather like the word gentleness it brings about an embodied sense of what's called for how to pick up our meditation object gently, how to meet ourselves when we feel confronted or assailed with difficulties, how to meet ourselves gently and to appreciate this matters. This is not just some new age add-on. This works for all beings. All beings benefit from kindness and and to invest in cultivating it. All beings benefit from gentleness and to invest in cultivating it. Many people begin and end their formal meditation period with just a few minutes of dwelling on the thought of may I be well, may I be free from suffering. May all beings be well, may all beings be free from suffering. Beginning and ending meditation. Even if we don't necessarily think it's going to work, 
just repeating those words just saying those words and if you're so possessed with pain and overwhelmed with suffering well you can address that and may all beings be free from suffering I wouldn't want anybody to feel like this may they be free from suffering may I be free from suffering what a wonderful thing to do what a wonderful spiritual exercise to dwell on wishing ourselves well wishing ourselves to be free from suffering and this is what we're supposed to be doing again uh, mentioning how we can see in daily life see like a mother with a child but there's all sorts of other examples of gentleness and you can those of you that do gardening you know you see what it's when you germinated some seeds and you're about to transplant them (laughs) transplanting them into a bigger pot you don't just pull the little seedling out and shake all the soil off and then stick it in there's not much chance that's going to survive very little chance it'll survive because uh, you damage the plant in the process what you do is you very very gently very gently remove the plant with a little bit of soil and very carefully put it into the larger pot that gentleness, where does that come from? it comes from a place of caring from concern from wanting this to do well and that's what we can bring to our practice yes, intensity is primary being able to appreciate when we have access to intense energy to see how functional and beneficial that can be yes agility being able to accord with what's called for depending on what we're being faced with but also always remembering kindness having the agility to adjust to simply simply wishing ourselves well And finally, to mention another element of uh, spiritual practice, which, uh, particularly if you're on retreat and you know, or in formal practice, uh, the place of resolve uh, in Pali, Aditana, uh, we, where we resolve to stick with something. Like we resolve to get up in the morning and meditate and we wake up in the morning and oh I don't want to get up it's, I think I need a little bit of sleep well we resolve to do it if we have this ability to stick with what we resolve to do then it stands us in very good stead resolve to keep the, keep the precepts to cultivate integrity you look around and you see how much suffering in the world is caused by the lack of integrity compromising honesty downright blatant lying is very commonplace does that bring benefit or does it bring harm it brings harm it brings harm to others it brings harm to those who who are acting in dishonest ways and, and so we make a commitment to out of considered 
appreciation of the benefit of keeping the, the precepts and make a commitment to keep the precepts, but then when we're in company where other people are heedlessly gossiping or being dishonest, and do we have the strength, do we have the resolve to stick with it? Well, once again, if we haven't cultivated it, well, then maybe we don't. You know, if we haven't stopped and considered how important it is to have the strength of resolution. And the same with, with kindness or gentleness. We haven't recognized what a, a tremendously important place it has on the spiritual journey. Then when it's called for, maybe we, we don't have it there to turn towards. And so recognizing also that this is something that we can cultivate. If I say that I'm going to sit for 20 minutes, then I sit for 20 minutes. Unless, of course, the house is burning down, which in case you should, you know, definitely get out. Yeah. Or you're hurting yourself so badly physically that you're going to damage yourself, then you definitely should change your body posture. Yeah. But barring those sort of things happening, then we say, I'm going to sit for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Yeah. We resolve to do it, then you... After 15 minutes, you look at the clock and think, oh, how much longer? Well, this is a messy meditation, but just for the sake of cultivating determination, the sake of cultivating resolve, I'm going to sit here. I'm going to sit here and do it. And little by little, particularly if we take on things that we know we can succeed at, like when here again in the monastery, or those of you that come on retreat here, we can... Determine, for instance, that every day for the next week that I'm here, I'm going to make, make an effort to clean my room. We have a uh, training standard here in the monastery where once a week at least everybody's supposed to hoover their room. So you can decide, actually, I'm going to do it every day. For the next week I'm going to hoover my room every day, make sure my room is spotlessly clean. So what's the point of that? Well, the point of that is just so you know you can do it. And what's the point of that? Well, we maybe we don't see at the time we're doing it, but later on when we find we're under pressure to compromise, we find we've got a strength that we can turn towards. Now, where did that strength come from? That's where it came from. It came from training. Like with meditation, we've got a meditation object, whatever it is, whether it's focusing on the breath or the whole body or, or the sound of silence or the theme of loving kindness and we have this theme of meditation and if you're practicing in a way whereby you're exercising the discipline of attention then every time the mind wanders you very gently, very carefully bring it back very gently, very carefully bring it back begin again, begin again, begin again it doesn't matter how many times the mind wanders it absolutely doesn't matter how many times the mind wanders so long as we remember and we begin again and in so doing, we're cultivating resolve. And then one day, suddenly, spontaneously, we're in a situation where there's this presence of attention. Spontaneously, have this presence of attention. So where did that come from? How did that happen? Well, it might have something to do with that over and over again, beginning again effort that we were making. And a great companion of resolve is trust. Trust or faith, as we know, the first of the five spiritual faculties that we have talked about, can be very powerful. We're aspiring to realise 
complete freedom from suffering, we're aspiring towards liberation. That means going into really new territory. That means venturing into the unknown. We don't want to just wander around in what we're already familiar with. We're looking for something radically different. And if we're going into that area which is radically different, well then we're going to need to be able to trust. Not just trust in the right thing, not just trust that awakening is possible, but also the capacity to trust itself. And trust is likewise something that we can cultivate. How do you develop trust if you if your capacity for trusting has been damaged, which is very normal in our world, sadly? Well, one way to do it is to go swimming and learn how to float and go to the ocean. Well, not not the ocean here. This is, <laughs> you don't want to go swimming off Whitney Bay. That's not very safe. That's not very good. Sometime where you're, you've got access to a, a nice beach. Mm. You happen to be in New Zealand, for instance. There's some very nice beaches there. Go swimming and, and try floating. It looks like it shouldn't work. This great big heavy body thing and all that water. How can you float? Well, you don't know how to do it. But you try it, and somehow with relaxing, with breathing, with adjusting, with trial and error, you learn to stop sinking. And how do you stop sinking? Well, it's hard to talk about, but it's got something to do with not stressing, not trying too hard, and not struggling, but allowing, allowing. So in the body, we can learn to trust And just the suggestion of the benefit of trusting, just dropping that suggestion into the mind, that itself can quicken our ability to investigate, quicken our intuition. Maybe we really don't know what faith means. We know, hopefully we know it means more than blind belief. Certainly as far as Buddhists are concerned, it doesn't mean blind belief. But what does faith really refer to? Something to do with confidence, something to do with trust. Get interested in it. Get interested in it. So once again, faith and resolve support each other. So these themes, whether it's intensity, agility, kindness, gentleness, resolve, and faith, all topics that we could wisely contemplate not only when we're on retreat but any time when we're considering where our practice is at where do we need to make an adjustment Mm. so thank you very much this evening for your attention (laughs) 